Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're going to begin our service a little bit differently throughout the month of December, but before we do that, let me welcome you. Uh, glad that you're here to worship with us uh, at Northside this morning. I know other people are going to be coming in. If this is your first time, we are thrilled to have you, blessed to have you. We would appreciate if you would let us know that. Um, there's a couple ways you can do that. There's a, a QR code you can scan in the bulletin, or there's a connection card you can fill out in the foyer. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to have a time of welcome where you get to take a moment and shake hands and welcome those around you. Um, if this is your first time, we just want to encourage you and pray for you any way that we possibly can. Well, it is the month of December, and in the month of December in Southern Baptist churches and Southern Baptist circles, we take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so we're going to show a video in just a moment, but I want to talk about how you can give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which goes to support our international missions throughout uh, Southern Baptist churches. There's a couple different ways that you can give. One is you can give through an envelope. There's a specific either Lottie Moon or it's going to say IMB envelope. Make sure you use that when we have just some general envelopes in the pews. Don't use that. Just the IMB envelopes, the Lottie Moon envelopes. Or we have a like a trough up here like a, for a, a crib, a cradle. Uh, at some point as we're singing, kids, if you have some cash and you want to bring that, you can bring that up and you can place that um, in the offering plate. And as we get to our goal, we'll put bows on our tree. Our goal is $8,000. The other way that you can give is, and I completely dropped the ball, I thought about it this week and then I forgot about it, when you come in tonight or next week, there'll be a mailbox out here with slots, we can do cards, you can, instead of mailing cards to people, you can fill out Christmas cards and put those um, in the boxes and you can give, uh, instead of paying for postage, you can give that money to support um, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering as well. So we have a video we want you to check out, and then I'll pray, and then we're going to have a time of welcome. We hear it in the voices of the hurting. We sense it in the brokenness of the world around us. Lostness is a blindness to the promise and hope of the gospel that leads to eternal separation from the Father. The world's greatest problem is lostness, and it's growing every day. Eight billion people, living in 195 countries, speaking over 7,000 languages. Today, more than half have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. The vision God gives us in Revelation 7-9, a multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, fuels our desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we must be willing to go further than we've ever gone before. To the very edges of lostness, where more than 3,000 people groups have no missionary presence and likely no access to the gospel, no one is engaging them. Together, we can change that. We know the love and hope and peace of the gospel. We know the way, the truth, and the life. We know the power of true redemption. We will not ignore lostness. We will not be silent. We will not stand still. From the Great Commission until the Great Multitude, 
We must unite in this great pursuit to reach every nation, no matter the cost. Would you pray with me? Father, we are surrounded by lostness, and we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, you call us, you command us to go. Lord, through the new birth, through being born again, you change our heart. You give us a new heart and new desires, and it ought to be our desire to go, to fulfill that great commission to the great multitude of people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our international missionaries who are serving um, in all different places in the world. We pray specifically for Johnny and Donna Most, two IMB missionaries, Lord, that our church has prayed for, encouraged. We've sent teams to work with them. Lord, we lift them up to you. Father, we also pray this morning as um, our shoeboxes are due back, as those shoeboxes will be taken on Saturday over to the processing center, as those boxes will then be placed in a bigger box and sent to different places in the world. Father, within these boxes is is the gift of love, um, as people have packed them, but more than that, Father, it's they've prayed over them. And Lord, we know that you're going to put these boxes in the hands where they need to be, and that there are pastors, there are believers in these places where these boxes are going, who are going to be sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with these boys and girls. And we pray, Father, that your word will go forth in power. It is the power of the gospel, of the living and abiding word of God that saves and transforms lives. And we thank you for that hope. We thank you for that promise that we have in Jesus' name. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before we worship, would you stand and take a moment and welcome those around you?
Shadow in your presence. 
Amen, amen. You may be seated. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord, amen. amen. We come into this Christmas season, right? I know our calendars are busy. There's a lot going on even here at the church. And so I want to draw your attention for just a quick moment to the bulletin. There are a lot of announcements that I want you to pay attention to. One is if you have any items that you want to bring for the Iwana store, we need them back today. Of course, the shoe boxes are due today, so you can bring those tonight. If you forgot them, uh, we're serving uh, next Saturday at the Processing Center. I think there's still time to sign up. Is that correct? If you want to sign up for the shoe boxes, the distribution center? Uh, if they do it today. You got to do it today, or then you're out of luck. 37 people? Wow. 37 people. Pray. Yeah, bring a friend, but sign up today. Uh, next Sunday is our, I believe it's our third annual Ugly Christmas Sweater Day. Woo! There we go. <laughs> Hosted by David Mazin in the College and Careers. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun, uh, and so we'll, we'll do that at the end of the worship service. Um, it's good, man, as brothers and sisters in Christ to have fun, amen? And so we want to worship Jesus, and then we'll, we'll do some fun uh, with that. Of course, I mentioned the, the Christmas offering, Lottie Moon. There are still several tags on the board for Christmas in Coweta. If you've not grabbed a tag, please grab one of those. And then let me draw your attention to just the schedule for what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. Those times and dates are listed right there in the bulletin, um, so make sure you pay attention to that. Also, as we enter into this Christmas season, we do um, and focus on what is called Advent. And so today we begin our celebration of Advent. Advent means coming or arrival. And so by lighting these candles, we rejoice in the great gift that is ours in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So if you haven't been with us, you don't know what this looks like, each Sunday we will light a candle and then we'll keep lighting an additional candle and then we'll do that through our Christmas Eve service. And so on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. that night, we'll light all the candles, including the white center candle, the Christ candle, to celebrate that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So on this first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. So Isabella is going to come and light our candle of hope. We're going to light the purple one right there in the front while she's doing that. Hope is our assurance that God will finish all that he has started. Hope is our confidence that he will do all that he has promised. And so as we draw near to the end of another year, I recognize that some here this morning, you might be staggering to the finish line the end of this year. You might be exhausted. And maybe for some of you, you enter into this season feeling some hopelessness. Well, this morning, as we remember the first coming of Christ... As we will reflect upon at the end of our service, as we'll take the Lord's Supper together, remembering his death, his burial, his resurrection, and look towards his second coming, right? We anticipate his second coming with hope, right? He is wonderful counselor, the mighty God who's strong enough to carry you. He's Emmanuel, God with us, the one whose love will never end. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits and in his word, I hope. Psalm 39, 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And then Romans 15 says, And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, you are the God of hope. You call us from the darkness of sin with the good news of salvation and restoration in Jesus Christ. We call upon you. We wait on you. Comfort us, we pray, with the promise of your saving power and the hope of your certain return. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand and let's continue to worship together.
pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for the, for the hope of the season. We thank you for this whole season where we can uh, glorify your name, for where everyone can see our love for you. And on, on that note of love for you, we just ask that uh, you receive these tithes and offerings that you have so graciously blessed us with just to return a little bit of that to you each time. Just bless them and bless us and help us to, to love on others wherever we are. For us in Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. <coughs>
Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our younger kiddos, so pre-K 3 and 4 and kindergarten, are going to make their way to children's church. First and second grade, you will stay in here with us this morning. So our younger kids are going to make their way out. If everybody else, if you'll do two things for me. One, take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter. And two, silence all electronic devices. And that includes your pastor. So I went back and I watched a little bit of the sermon, and I could tell I got really distracted at one point, and that was my phone. So what happened um, is my watch, Siri is now off, by the way, Siri picked up for some reason, and when she said, I heard, I heard something, Siri, and it was my phone that said it, and then whatever I said next, Siri interpreted that to mean, let's play some Elton John music. <laughs> so those of you sitting over there, we're listening to some Elton John music. Thanks to Dustin and then Ryan for taking care of that. So Siri is off. My phone is on silent. Do not disturb. And let's hope we don't do that again. All right. Um, First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 22 through 25. Again this morning, I've got just one slide for you up there. It'll be up there the whole time if you're really slow at taking notes. So First Peter chapter 1, 22 through 25. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is the word of the Lord, the living and abiding word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You may be seated. I was listening to a pastor this past week preaching through 1 Peter, and he started his sermon by making this point, and he preached this years ago. He said this, We are becoming less personal and more virtual and technological. And that was years ago when he made that statement. We are living in a culture that is becoming less personal and more virtual and more technological. You see that everywhere you go, right at a restaurant, watching a family eating together, and so many of them are talking to people who are not at the table through their devices or talking to each other from their phones rather than in person, right? Less personal. A study, a recent study bears this out. A third of Americans say that they feel lonelier than ever before. The study found that 41% of people say a lack of friends or community drives their loneliness. They would go on to say, based upon this study, they would make this quote, over half of Americans spend more than 50% of their time online. Nearly half, 46% of those surveyed, spend more time in front of a screen than joining in-person activities. And they spend eight or more hours of the day on devices. We are more connected than we have ever been, and yet we are more lonely, more disconnected. And yet for us as Christians, you and I must choose to be intentional, more intentional than we ever have been before to love one another. So instead of withdrawing from the body of Christ, we must press in more and more to the body of Christ. Why? Because Peter tells us we are to love one another. 
Peter begins this letter by explaining this great salvation that we have received. He then, beginning in verse 13, talks about these four imperatives, how we live as exiles. We're to set our hope fully on Christ. We are to pursue holiness. We are to conduct ourselves in fear, reverence, in awe of God. And then in our passage this morning, the fourth one is we are to love one another. So here's the main idea. In these verses, as Peter closes out this beginning part of this letter, as exiles, you are to love one another. Why? Because you have been set apart through obedience to the gospel and because you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. The main idea of these verses is found in the exhortation, the command, the imperative verb to love one another. So what Peter does is he says, you are to love one another, and then he tells us why. He gives us two reasons as to why we as Christians are to love one another. So we're going to see those two reasons, and then we're going to come to the command, love one another, and then we're going to end with an encouraging word as Peter ends this section with an encouraging word. So why are you, as a Christian, to love one another? It's like, Pastor, do I really have to love one another? Yes. Why? Peter gives us two reasons. Number one is because you have been set apart. You've been purified. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That word purified, that Greek word can mean cleansing or washing. You've been cleansed, you've been washed through the blood of the lamb. But it can also mean set apart. To be set apart from the world and set apart unto or devoted unto God. You've been purified, cleansed, set apart. Through what? Your, your souls by your obedience to the truth. So what does that mean? Does that mean like ongoing obedience to process of sanctification? It could mean that. I think what Peter's getting at here goes back to the beginning though, where he says in verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ. I think what Peter's saying is, listen, you, when you came to faith in Jesus, you submitted to the truth of the gospel. You obeyed the gospel because Jesus says what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. You, when you came to Jesus, repented and you believed. You were obedient, right? An act of grace, a work of the spirit of God, but you came and you believed. In other words, you've been saved. You've been set apart unto the Lord. So why are you to love? Because you've been saved. And because you've been saved, therefore, you are to love one another. But then he gives us a second reason, because you've been born again. Verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. This idea of being born again, not the first time Peter's mentioned that. He mentions it in verse 3. We've been born again to a living hope. So then he talks about this birth, and he contrasts the perishable versus the imperishable. He says, you're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Perishable simply means that which is subject to corruption and decay. So when he speaks here of this birth, he's not talking a physical birth. He said, you were born physically, and that's of perishable seed. We know how it happens. You got here through the seed, right? That's perishable. What does he mean by that? You're going to die. 
Everybody you know is going to die. Your parents passed on to you this gene, this lineage that is going to decay because of sin, because of the fall, because of the curse. So he's not talking about a physical birth. Perishable begets perishable. Everything around us is decaying. Peter is speaking of an imperishable birth. For imperishable begets imperishable. You've been born again, Peter says, spiritually. You're changed. You're new. Listen, he's already said you have a living hope. He's already told you you have an imperishable inheritance. And now what he's getting at here is you have a new heart. As somebody who's given their life to Jesus through the Spirit of God, causing you to be born again, you have a new heart. You now have the capacity to love. So what's the means by which we've been born again? We know it's all of God, a power of God. What's the means? What does he say? Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The means by which you've been born again is the living and abiding word of God. Schreiner writes, the means by which God begets his people is the seed of God's word, the preaching of the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the what? The word of Christ. We hear the gospel. We respond to the gospel. God uses his word to bring about this new birth, this transformation in us. So let me point out this word purified and this Greek word born again both appear in the perfect. The verb is in the perfect, meaning it happened in the past and it has ongoing results. So why are you to love one another? Peter says, because you've been purified. In the past, ongoing results, you love one another. Why are you to love one another? Because you've been born again. You've got a new nature. You're changed. Therefore, you love one another. That's the grounds. That's the reason. So hear me. If you are a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, you have been purified, set apart, you've been born again. Loving your brothers Sisters is not an option. You're commanded to love them because of what God has done in and through you. And that brings us to the command. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter uses two different Greek words for love here. The first one, brotherly love, is the Greek word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Brotherly love. It's this idea of you are to have this love for family, for someone close to you. In the Gospels, in the New Testament, it is speaking of a love for brothers and sisters in Christ. He's writing to the church, saying you are to love one another. Brotherly love. But then he uses another word for love when he says love one another. That word love is not Philadelphia. It's agapao, the noun agape. This Greek word is the word used to refer to God's love for us. It is a love of the will. It is a love of choice. It is an in unconditional, sacrificial love that God has for his people. And Peter says that we are to have for one another. So hear me. Christian love is not a feeling. Well, Pastor, I don't feel like loving my brother or sister. Peter would say, I don't care. Purified, set apart, born again, you're called to love. You're commanded to love. 
Christian love is not a feeling. It's a matter of the will. So Peter says, we've been born again. You were born the first time into a physical family. Peter says, you've been born again a second time. Not into a physical family, but into a spiritual family. You, by being born again, are not born into isolation. It's not just you and Jesus just living your life however you want, just the two of you. No, when you're born again, God sets you into a family. We call that family the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. You are brought into a family. I love what Karen Job says. One's covenant relationship with God is never an individual matter. Well, it's just my life to live how I want. No, not according to the scriptures. If you've been born again, Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. You've been brought into a family. So what does God call us to do in that family? Love one another. Love your brothers and sisters. So here's a question. Is it possible to love Jesus and not love the church? Is it possible to love Jesus and not love the bride of Christ? The answer is a resounding no. It's not possible. Now, there are many today, many so-called Christians today, who have given up on the church. They've given up on the bride of Christ. Many of them were hurt by a pastor. They went through some sort of abuse or trauma under the hands of someone who was called to shepherd them and love them. And if that was you, I am sorry. That some person took advantage of their authority and abused you. It happens all the time, way too often. We have people who've genuinely been hurt by the church, and they leave the church. There are people who just don't want to be part of a community, and therefore they don't think they need the church. It's just me and Jesus. So hear me. It is much easier to walk away from the church altogether. In fact, you could do it right now. Just get up, walk out, say, I'm never coming back. I'm never going back to church. Next Sunday morning, it'll be much easier for you to stay in bed than it is to get up, get your kids ready, or get yourself ready and come to church. So many people have done that. I don't need the church. But listen, that's not what the scripture teaches us. Are, you, are we perfect? Nope. Are we hard to love sometimes? Yep, including myself. It's not easy to stay and be part of the church, but we are called to be part of the family. And you and I every day must choose to stay and love the bride of Christ. Why? Because you've been saved and you've been born again. And therefore, God has given you a capacity, the ability now to love. The question is, how do we love? Well, Peter will say more in the beginning of chapter 2, but there's two words he uses here that I want to look at. How are we to love the brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that's what he's speaking of here. Yes, we love our neighbor as ourself. Yes, we love all people. But specifically here, he's speaking of this brotherly love, the love for brothers and sisters. So how do we love them? The first thing he says is with sincerity, for a sincere brotherly love. Love. In other words, your love is to be without hypocrisy or without pretense. Your love for each other is not to be fake or phony. How many disciples did Jesus have originally? Twelve. 
How many of them were fakes and phonies? One. It becomes clear that Judas was not really following Jesus. And there's two times where we see Judas, at least two times, where we see this insincere, hypocritical love. On one occasion, they're gathered, and Mary takes this expensive ointment and pours it out upon the feet of Jesus. Right? It's an act of just sacrifice. And Judas objects. And he says, why was this not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Wow. Judas must really love the poor. No. The author gives us a little insight to what's going on. Judas didn't love the poor. Judas was in charge of the money, and he wanted it for himself. That was a hypocritical, insincere, fake love. And then the other time is when Judas walks up to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he kisses him. If you're an observer of that moment, you're like, oh my goodness, the affection of Judas. But we know it was an insincere, hypocritical love, because why did he kiss him? It was to mark him as the one that was to be arrested. He was betraying him. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we are going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ sincerely, then you have to get to know them. You have to get to know them. And you've got to be willing to say, I want to love you genuinely, not with an ulterior motive. I just want to care for you, and I want to love on you. And you've got to get to know them. Is that easy? No. It's messy. It's messy to allow yourself to be vulnerable to where people can get to know you. And it can be really messy and really complicated sometimes when you begin to step into people's lives and get to know them. But yet we are called to sincerely love them. Not just, hey, I'll pray for you, and we don't pray for them. Or, hey, I'll pray for you, but that's all I'm going to do. It's a sincere love for the brothers and sisters. But then he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly, fervently, deeply, intensely. The idea here is to stretch out or strain. The idea is that of maybe an Olympian or an athlete who is exerting everything he has, pushing his body, and I know nothing as to what this is like, pushing your body to the limits, like physically, in exercise or whatever, where you can't give no more. You are exhausted. We are to love earnestly. Hear me. You can't earnestly, fervently love your brothers and sisters unless you're willing to love as Christ loved. Are you willing to love as Christ loved? Are you willing to lay down your life for a brother or a sister in Christ? Hear me, church. You may love this time of the year. This may be an incredible time of the year for you. But there are some people in this church right now, this family, who are hurting, who are dreading the holidays this year, who are struggling maybe financially or struggling in their marriage or struggling with sin. And they need somebody, anybody, a brother or a sister who knows, who sees, and who is simply willing to listen, to provide a hug, to cry with them, to provide gas for them, just to sit with them so they're not alone. They need that. Is that hard? Yes, because we're all busy. Right now you're thinking, man, how, when do I have time to add anything else to my schedule? But that's what it's called to love the body of Christ. Now here is a temptation. It was a temptation for them, and it's a temptation for us, and I see it right now. 
The hostility around these recipients of this letter was growing. Persecution was beginning to rise. They've been dispersed. They're scattered. When persecution, when the culture around us and their hostility level begins to rise, the temptation for us as Christians is to kind of pull back to where it's just us, and then the flesh kind of takes over, and rather than loving one another better, we start to fight and argue with one another because we're so inward focused. Listen, I am very burdened and concerned right now by many Christians that I see online, many leaders that I see online, in the way how they are allowing some things to become so divisive. Listen, there are certain things that we need to speak out against. And what I'm about to say, I'm not talking about some denominations who have completely walked away from Scripture, embraced all the progressiveness, sexuality, all the stuff that the culture believes. I'm not talking about them. They've, they've lost their way. I'm talking about even among Southern Baptists who still hold fast to the gospel, who believe 95% of what we believe, but there's one issue that maybe we just disagree. We see it differently, and rather than calmly, lovingly sitting down and having these conversations, we're attacking one another, we're fighting one another. We just we take our focus and we put it on ourselves, and when we do that, it's just a matter of time before issues start to arise. I want you to hear I want you to hear what Jesus says in John 13. In John 13, Jesus speaks very, very clearly in verse 35 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by your love for one another, by this, all people. This is the third week in a row. uh, This little word, all, has appeared that makes all the difference. All. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, how is a lost, unbelieving, hostile world going to know that our faith in Jesus is real? When they see you and I earnestly, fervently, sincerely loving one another. Why? I know why you're here. You're here because you've been saved and born again. Jesus has changed you. You want to be here. Why would any unbelieving person who has never put their faith in Jesus, therefore they don't have a new heart, why would any of them ever want to come into a fellowship of believers when all we do is fight and argue with one another? Why would anybody want that? I'll just stay home. I don't blame you. Like, We are called by Christ. We've been changed by Christ to love one another. When a lost, unbelieving world walks into a place and they see a bunch of hurting, broken people who've got a lot of things going on in their life, none who claim to be perfect, none who claim to have all this figured out, but they see us walking together, loving one another, doing life together in a world that is so disconnected and isolated, and they see here, wow, these people genuinely care for one another. That can change the hearts and lives of people. It can change. When they see what my family's been able to experience over the last month and a half, the love and the generosity of a church 
who sees, hey, they're doing some incredible stuff, and man, is it hard, but we want to help them and support them any way that we can. To know that there are people coming alongside us, coming alongside you, that makes a difference. How do exiles live in a hostile, hard world of suffering? We love one another. We love one another. That's what Peter says. And then he concludes with this encouraging word. Four, verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. i got to be honest. If you stop right there, that's not very encouraging. Peter says, you want to know what you're like? You're like grass. I don't know what your grass looks like right now, but my grass is dead. That's what my grass in my house looks like. Not great. Still some weeds, stuff trying to kill my grass. It's not good. Peter says, you're like grass. I don't know about you, but I don't have any flowers right now in my house. They're all dead. He's like, that's you. Grass and flowers. You're here today, and then you're gone. Your life is brief, but a vapor. And you're like, man, oh man, how is that encouraging? Well, he continues. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So what's Peter doing here? How is this encouraging? Well, you got to understand the backdrop. He's quoting from the Old Testament. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to draw your attention to this, conclude with just some encouraging words for us, and then we'll pray, we'll worship together through song, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. How is this encouraging? Well, many commentators believe you can take Isaiah and you can divide it into two books, Isaiah chapter 1 through 39 and then 40 through 66. Some want to argue they're two different authors. I believe it's one author. I believe it's Isaiah, inspired of God, the prophet, right? The first 39 chapters, it's a lot of doom and gloom, a lot of judgment, a lot of condemnation. In fact, it ends, chapter 39, verses 5 and 6, by talking about how God's people, Israel, is going to be taken into captivity, that Babylon, the powerhouse of the day, is going to come in and take them captive, and they're going to become what? exiles. They're going to be taken out of their home, taken into Babylon, where it's not their home, not their land. They can't go to the temple and worship. They can't offer up the sacrifices. Everything is going to change. And that's how it ends, doom and gloom. But it doesn't stop there. Because when you come to chapter 40, you begin to see words of comfort. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Drop down to verse 3. This ought to sound familiar. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We read that in the Gospels. right? You read verses 6, 7, and 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And here's where Peter's quoting from it. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Here it is. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How's that encouraging? Because here's what God's saying. Israel, you're going into captivity. I brought you into the promised land, but because of your idolatry, because of your sin, I'm allowing the Babylonians to take you into captivity. It's going to be hard. But don't fret. Don't lose hope. Because I'm coming. My word will endure forever. My promise will endure. 
And then so we read in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. God's saying, I'm going to come. I'm going to come like a shepherd. I'm going to gather the lambs in my arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God is promising them. Now, why is this so encouraging to those in 1 Peter? Because listen to what Peter does. He says, but the word of the Lord remains forever, quoting from Isaiah 40, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter says, the living life-giving, enduring word that God spoke to his people in Isaiah 40, Peter now identifies as the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 25. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the announcement of God coming. God with us. Prepare the way of the Lord. God is coming. God is coming to rescue his people from exile, to rescue them from their bondage to sin, and to shepherd them as a faithful, caring shepherd. You see, what God's saying to Israel is, Israel, listen, my word endures, Babylon will perish. What he's saying to those in 1 Peter is, listen, my word endures, Rome one day will perish. What God is saying to us, As brothers and sisters, my word will endure. Everything in this world will perish. But my word will endure. Now here's the temptation. The world can look very attractive at times. The world can look really glamorous at times. And the temptation, maybe even for you this morning, is you're waffling. Do I really believe God's word? Because Because this is what the culture is saying, and this seems more real and more true to me than what God's Word says. I mean, after all, this is an ancient manuscript, more than 2,000 years old, some of it it older than that. Can I really still believe God's Word? And Peter is reminding them, as exiles living in and under the Roman government, do not be fooled by the world. Yes, it might look glamorous, but it will not last. Every nation rises and falls. Every country rises and falls. Everything that we love that is of this world is perishable. It is all subject to decay, to sin, and to the curse. This is not all that there is, amen? There's more than this. And so here's the encouraging word. Wherever you find yourself, just know, God's word will endure forever. And there is power in his word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. One author has written, A thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession formed. The inscription cut on the tombstone and the committal read, but somehow the corpse never stays put because God's word endures forever. Spurgeon wrote, God's word never dies. God's word never changes. There are some who think we ought to get a new gospel every few years or even every few weeks, but that was not Peter's notion for God's word endures forever. We don't need a new gospel. We got a gospel that saves. 
Let's herald the gospel. And I love what Martin Luther says. Feelings come, feelings come and feelings go. And feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Peter's clear. It is the word of God, the living, life-giving, abiding word that remains forever. The gospel remains forever. And it is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that men and women are born again. It is through the preaching, through the heralding, through the teaching, through the talking about the gospel that people go from death to life, by which they receive a living hope and an imperishable inheritance. So on this Advent Sunday of hope, have hope, brothers and sisters. Have hope, for you belong to Christ. God is with us. He came. He took on flesh. He was crucified upon a cross after living a sinless, perfect life. In just a moment, we'll eat of the bread and we will drink of the cup and we will be reminded of Christ's sacrifice. But have hope, brothers and sisters, because Christ is not dead. He is alive. And we have hope because Jesus Christ is coming again. So what do we do till he comes? Good question, Peter. Set your hope fully on Christ, for he's coming. Be devoted to a life of godliness, to live a separate, godly, holy life. Conduct yourself with fear. Live in awe and reverence of your God and creator. And give yourself to loving the brethren and the sisters in Christ. For by this, all people, your neighbor, your unbelieving family member, that hostile, angry man or woman on the internet, all of them will know that we are disciples and followers of Jesus when they see your love for Christ and your love for his church. Have hope and let us love one another. Would you close your eyes? And bow your head. Father, as we come, as we offer up this song to you, this song of praise, this song, simple words, we'll repeat them. But, oh God, we pray, give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart. Father, as we come right now, we want to, God, stand upon the living and abiding word of God. This is our hope. This is our truth. This is what changes us. So, Lord, we want to give you the praise and the glory for that. Lord, speak to us. Prepare our hearts for this time of taking of the Lord's Supper. As we offer up the song, speak to us. And, Lord, I pray, if we've taken our eyes off of you, will you just put our focus back upon you? Lord, if there's any animosity in our heart, any hatred in our heart for anyone, specifically a brother or sister in Christ, Oh, Spirit of God, move in us and don't let us go till we repent. For we have been set apart and we have been born again and we are commanded to love. And if we are failing to love or we are failing to let other people love on us, oh God, remove that pride and bring us to a place of humility. Give us clean hands and a pure heart, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together before we partake of the Lord's Supper. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our so give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh, give us clean hands, and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And oh God, let us be. A generation that sees, sees your face, oh God of Jacob. And oh God, let us be a generation that sees, sees your face, oh God of down our idols so give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another oh give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another and oh God, let us be a generation that sees, who seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. And oh God, let us be a generation that sees, who seeks your face, oh seated. I know we may have some visitors with us this morning, so I just want to explain how we take part in the Lord's Supper or communion so nobody is confused. We do ask that you be a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. You don't have to be a member of Northside. Maybe you're visiting or you're in town with family. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we invite you to take with us. As it's passed, we ask that you wait till we all have received it. We'll take that together. Pastor Gary and I will lead you in that. As a reminder, it is double stack cups, so make sure you get two cups. The bread will be on the bottom one and the juice 
on the top one. And as it's passed, we just pray that you would have a heart and an attitude of worship, reflecting and doing what Jesus called us to do, and that is to remember his sacrifice, his death upon the cross. And as we remember, we also anticipate, we long for the return of Christ. So Pastor Gary is going to come. Our deacons are going to stand. Let me pray, and then we'll pass out the elements. Lord God, as we come to this time, we do so, Lord, with humble hearts, or maybe some with broken hearts of contrition, of repentance. We come, Lord, remembering, as Peter talked about, as we saw last week, the precious blood of Jesus Christ that ransoms us and delivers us. So as we eat of the bread, and as we drink of the cup, Oh, Lord, would you strengthen us as we feed upon Jesus, your sacrifice, your death, the hope, the the, the joy, the life that that brings. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus first would have taken the body, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. A couple of things before we are dismissed. We have our normal evening activities tonight, so I want to encourage you to come be a part of that, whether you're a kid, a youth, or an adult. Uh, we have something for everybody. Uh, you'll also see an announcement in the bulletin about some mission t-shirts. I wore this t-shirt a couple weeks ago. This is available for you. Um, if you are planning to do any type of service with us, whether it's Operation Christmas Child or going on a mission trip or something we do in the community, uh, we saw this when we went to Ecuador last year. Another church had shirts. They matched. Um, it just says Live Sent in the name of the church on the back. They're available to you. You can pick them up in the foyer. Um, if you don't have any money to give towards a shirt, that's fine. You can take one. If you do have some money and you would like to make a donation, any amount is fine. And all of that money is going to go towards missions to continue to fund mission trips um, that we do. So Ruth, I believe, is going to be out there. Right when you go out to your left, you can uh, get some shirts. And then whenever we do something as a church, we'll wear those um, to let people know that we at Northside live sent for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Pastor Gary is going to come, if you'll stand, and he's going to lead us in the reading of Matthew 28, and then we'll be dismissed. Well, generally from <clears throat> the pulpit, we don't like to celebrate but this, this past week, we celebrated the fact that Pastor Aaron's been here four years. So, I know he wouldn't do it, but I did it anyway. <clears throat> but please, Northside, say this with me with all your heart. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, Lipsent.